Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. So glad that you're here. Glad for another, grateful for another Sunday where we can preach, be together, even if it's remote, even if it's online, um, where we can still chase after Jesus together as this community. Um, today is going to be an interesting morning. Uh, this, this is the game plan. I'm going to start a little conversation now. We're going to put down the conversation, talk a little bit about what's going on, and then pick up the conversation again. Uh, and so I, I want to start off today, I want to start today's sermon by diving in and saying, one of my favorite parts of doing this job, much more than just a job, but having this calling in my life, is that I get to live my life in front of all of you, in front of our church. Like I get to wrestle with these things for a living uh, and make it my own, own it, like wrestle with these things, with these teachings, with these sermons, with God's word, with my relationship with him wrestle with it first before I ever stand in front of anyone, before I ever charge us or call us to do something for Jesus. Um, I, I get to do it myself. I have this built-in accountability. And uh, I love how part of the calling is to be vulnerable in front of people. It's difficult. It's very difficult at times. Uh, but it's also helpful and it brings me joy. Uh, and today I want to start by like giving a really big piece of who I am. Like, I feel like in today's sermon, that's where I'm supposed to start. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reis. Uh, if you haven't heard my story, I am an immigrant from Brazil. I came here when I was little. And um, one of the most foundational core parts of my identity and the hardest part of who I am from growing up was understanding who I was racially. Uh, understanding what it meant to be a white immigrant from a part of the world where people don't know white immigrants come from, uh, to feeling so different from everyone else around me and yet looking like most of them. Uh, I am a third culture person, right? That means that I grew up in a culture, surrounded by a culture that was different than my native culture. And that was really painful growing up. I had all these experiences um, that, as a kid, I could not make sense of. I didn't know what to do with. You know, a part of being a third culture person is that you are raised in a culture that is not your native culture, right? When I was three, my parents made the decision for us to come to Brazil. My dad came before us, but then the rest of us came. And so I grew up in this American culture. I went to school. I had friends. I watched TV. I watched movies. I learned football in college because I had no one in my life before college to tell, teach me football. Uh, and so I grew up in this culture that I knew wasn't mine. And I had enough uh, racially motivated experiences that like, I, it kept on being reaffirmed to me that I was not American, that I would never be fully American, right? There was, there was this difference, and I felt this difference. And then I also had these set of experiences growing up, going to Brazilian churches, going to Brazilian restaurants, being around, like my, our most intimate relationships growing up were with other Brazilians. And um, I remember, my, like, this, full disclosure, my Portuguese is horrible. I can talk, I can have a conversation with someone, but I'm also stressed out the whole time. Because like growing up, my Portuguese was so bad. I have such an American accent in my Portuguese that like I actively avoid speaking Portuguese because I'm so stressed. Because 
all I really remember is being made fun of. Like, is <laughs> yeah, part of my life. And so I had enough experiences on my Brazilian side too to be like, well, I'm not Brazilian. I know that I'm not Brazilian. I'm, I'm some some subpar Brazilian. And so what the the result of doing this of not feeling accepted by either is that like I'm this third culture person. I'm like floating in some ambiguous culture. Um, partly like I can resonate with some people, uh, especially my brother and my sister who grew up with me in the same house, right? But even then, it's like also this very personal thing. And so like trying to understand who I was was really difficult for most of my life. It was only until my uh, early 20s, after college, where I was put under a leader who helped me process all of this, that I started to have peace about who I really was. And so we started that conversation. Uh, We're going to set it aside for just a moment, and we're going to talk about what's going on in our church right now. See, a a couple weeks ago, Ryan and I got together to plan the rest of the year, which is very easy because (laughs) uh, there's only so many weeks left. And um, we realized that we really only have this week and three more weeks, four weeks to hit our themes before we start Advent. You know, this whole year, Ryan and I, really starting third quarter last year, we started praying like, Lord, what do you want 2021 to be about in, this, in city life? Like, Lord, we know that we might not be in a building the whole year. Well, I never thought we would not be in a building the whole year. But I was like, Lord, even if we're nomadic, even if we're still online, even if the pandemic gets worse, like we're on this mission together with you. You're calling us to do some things. And so what is 2021 going to be all about? Like, Lord, what do we preach? What do we do? How do we protect our people but still go after things? And, that, and out of that whole process, three things kept on coming to the surface. We dedicated this whole year, 2021, to do three things that by December 31st of this year, we would be dramatically further down the line in three key things about walking with Jesus. The first one is that we would be a people who know our identity in Christ. Who like when we believe in you, you start speaking this identity of love and compassion and acceptance and forgiveness and redemption over us. And so this year we say, Lord, I don't want to dictate who I am. I don't want others to dictate who I am. I want you and your word to mold me. I want you to intimately shape my identity. What is most central about me? You get to tell me who I am. And then the second thing that we were working on this year, the second thing we devoted ourselves to, was that we would mature in our relationship and our walk with Christ. That at the end of the year, we would be tangibly, objectively somewhere we have never been before in our faith. Taking on further, like, faithful risks, doing things that we hadn't been before, having more uh, security in our faith and in our walk with Christ. Be like, last year this would have crippled me, this would have paralyzed me, but I am somewhere I've never been before. I'm further down the road with Jesus. I'm holding his hand and he's leading me here and I'm like, I'm going for it with Jesus. Like, I prayed so much for the, our church for that this year, for us to mature in Christ, for us to be somewhere new in our faith, for us to have achieved healing that held us back in the past, that we would, like, end sin patterns in our lives this year. And then the last thing is that we have, like, preached emotional health over our church. Like, so many Christians are stunted, are arrested, 
uh, not because we're not reading our Bibles or not because we're not like seeing cool things happen, but it's because we forget about our whole beings and say we can only be as spiritually mature, as physically mature, as relationally mature, as like mature in our job and our worldview and our perspective. We can only be as healthy as we are emotionally healthy. Like so many of us know what we need to know, but our hearts are hurting. Our hearts are still like scared little kids or, or hurting too much to keep on going. And so we preach being emotionally healthy. How do we let God hold us and walk, take us by the hand and emotionally heal what is arresting us? What is stopping our development? What is keeping us from the maturity that God has for us? So this has been our focus. We have four more weeks before Advent starts. We're going to hit some of these themes on Advent too, but really we have four weeks to hammer this home even more to like solidify this in the life of our church and in all of us as individuals. And so for a long time now, like I've been praying like, God, what are we going to do? How are we going to finish this? Not finish it, like never talk about it again, but like, Lord, we have this opportunity for four weeks. What do we do? And I, I felt God telling us, like, you know, focus on a story. Look at one life. God was saying, look at what I can do when I have, like, control over a life. Look at how I form one of my servants. Look at how I called him. Look at how I sustained him in that call. And then look at how I built the legacy that he left behind. And so today I'm like so excited for us to start this mini little series on Moses. Impossible to preach all of Moses in four weeks. We're going to be taking narrative snapshots of different key parts of his life. We're going to build the picture of this man. And then we're going to build what God did in his life in the crazy uh, crucible of the leadership that he was given. And we start today. Today our assignment is to understand the man, to grasp him emotionally, to feel where he is and then to relate with him. And so let me pray so that we can do that together, so that we can go for not just today, but in this little series, this little look at Moses' life and say like, Lord, how does Moses' life continue to speak into where I am today in 2021? So uh, pray with me, please. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have had this church and everyone in it in the palm of your hand and you've sustained us this whole time. You've spoken your love and your truth over us, your acceptance, your forgiveness. Also, like, harder, deeper, more mature things. Lord, I pray that us, this young church, full of younger people, that we uh, pursue you passionately with all that we have and that you grow us up and mature us so that we are like this emotionally healthy, build up people who know who we are in you. Lord, we give you these next four, three weeks, our whole lives, but especially these next couple of weeks to speak to us about what a life looks like when it's being formed intimately by you. We love you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into the preaching of your word, into the hearing of your word, and then the implementing of your word, Lord. Help us to find fertile places in our hearts to really mold us into the people you're calling us to be. We love you, and we give you total control. Lord, I, I just pray over your people that hear this access to their hearts, 
so that uh, your word can uh, do a profound work. We love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's jump right on in and start talking about Moses. Moses' story is so incredible. I am really excited for us to start speaking about Moses. I felt all the way back from January that at some point this year we needed to cover Moses. My only regret is that it didn't happen sooner and we can't do it for longer. But here we are, we're in Moses right now. One of the things that I love about Moses is that I feel like the, I not feel like, I see the development that happened over the course of his life to me is only really rivaled by the change in the apostles. And other names come up, right? When I think about that, when I think, okay, where did someone start and where did they end? And a lot of people, everyone in the Bible who interacted with God was changed. Uh, but to me, only the apostles rival the change that I see that happens in Moses. I, I love how we get to see every stage of Moses' life. Like we, we get the whole thing. We get before he was born, we get his birth, we get glimpses of his childhood, the type of man that he was formed into, his season of solitude, his season of leadership, his old life, and the legacy that leaves behind and what came after him. It's just an incredible to see this whole life. Like We get to see this large, filled, beautiful, difficult, struggling life with God. We get to see his birth, his secrets, his pain, his, the sin, his calling, and all of this. We like get to see a life that is formed by God. That Moses, when he died, was a giant in God's people. That he wrote the first, or is credited to be, have written the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Like this incredible man, this like hearing his story, especially his early story, which we're going to talk about today, we would not have guessed that he was the candidate to do all of this. And so like I already said today, today we're looking at Exodus chapter 1 and 2. We're doing this narratively, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but I, I welcome you to read Exodus 1 and 2 this week and dive into Moses' early life. And today our assignment is to understand the man, get a picture of the man so that we can continue the story to see what really happened to him. Next week, we're going to talk about his calling. Ryan is going to preach for us about the calling that he received when God finally spoke out into his life and started to teach him who he was. But this week, first, we need to grasp the man. Honestly, the hurt man that went forward. And so let's start that off by talking about his birth. Since our assignment is to look at the man today, we have to look at how his story began. Because that like many of us, what happens in our early age really shape who we are as when we begin our journeys as individuals. And really, Moses' story is so fascinating. It starts in Exodus 1 and 2. We see that God's people were in Egypt. They have been in Egypt for a while, and they are so good at having babies. They are so good at uh, increasing their numbers. Let's just keep it that way that they are growing and growing and growing in Egypt, and they are causing more and more and more concern for the Egyptians. They're like, okay, this is like a national security risk at this point. If they align with someone else, they're in our borders, they're all around us, what are we going to do? And so their answer is to oppress them more and more and more to the point that they become their slaves, that they are put into slavery. The backdrop of Moses' life is oppression, 
is slavery, is pain. It's his people knowing struggle intimately. It gets to this point where Pharaoh has already enslaved them. And he says to all the Hebrew midwives, he said, whenever a baby boy is born, you have to throw him into the Nile or something will happen to you. Kill every boy that is born. Side note, ethical dilemma here, which is really fascinating. Uh, The midwives don't listen to him and they lie to him and God blesses them for doing that. We'll have that discussion some other day. But the babies, they keep on coming. And then like Pharaoh's like, okay, like we need to do something here. And he continues to order them to kill every boy that's born. And then Moses is born, right? His mom conceives him and he is born. And then she looks at him and I love how scripture talks about him. It's like she has him looks at him, and it says that she sees that he is very fine. I, I just love that, like, that description of a, a mom looking at her boy and saying, he's very fine. She hides him for three months. And then Moses' mom and his sister come up this plant to save this fine boy's life. They prepare this basket that will float. They get ready, and they wait for the Pharaoh's daughter to come and take a bath in the river, and they, and they put him in the basket and put him in the water. And their plan works incredibly well. We see God's hand all over Moses' life. Before Moses is ever, like God is ever mentioned in Exodus, we see him at work here. We see him orchestrating Moses' salvation. And so Moses' Pharaoh's daughter sees this boy. She finds favor. He finds favor with her. He's like, okay, like, I'll keep him. God's provision, uh, Moses' mom is able to, she like gets paid to take care of her son, which is incredible. It's one of those funny things that only God can work out. And then we see that Moses then, when he's old enough, goes to live as Pharaoh's daughter's son. I practiced saying that a lot this week. Fa- Mo- I messed it up. Pharaoh's daughter's son. And so in, in the same way, I mean, I just sit here and I think, and I, I try and imagine this picture that I struggled so deeply to make sense of my two identities. Like, uh, okay, I'm American. I can't say that I'm not, uh, but I'm Brazilian. But I, like, I know I'm not Brazilian. I'm told plenty of times that I'm not Brazilian too. And it's like, what's going on here? And I just put myself in Moses' shoes. I had to compare two good things, right? Being American, being Brazilian, it's good. But Moses had to hold in himself Two things that were at odds. Well, on one hand, who he really was, he was a Hebrew. You know, the Israel, the nation of Israel was not established yet. There was only this people, this Hebrew people, God's special family, the Hebrews. So he was Hebrew. But that was diametrically opposed, according to Pharaoh, to the identity that he received. He was Pharaoh's daughter's son. He lived in Pharaoh's house. I can't even begin to imagine the confusion in him knowing this. That the family who was raising him is the family who was oppressing and wanted to kill him. If, he never, if, if the daughter never found him, he would have been dead at some point, most likely. And imagine holding that together. Imagine the two worlds that he lived in. Imagine making sense of this. Imagine like the amount of being a third culture person that Moses had to make sense of. And we see like how he did not really make sense of that. We see how God's story changes dramatically 
and how Moses is driven into a period of solitude. Let's talk about solitude. If you are around my age or, or have kids who are about my age, you've undoubtedly, or been around the church enough, you've undoubtedly seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, right? And you like think of all that dialogue and all that story, the background that we get. But if you actually like, read God's story in Exodus 1 and 2, you get, we get very little of his childhood, of, of who he was at this point. Everything that we can piece together is like how we see him respond to what's happening here. How we like try to make sense of what happens in his life. It happens all very quickly. It is not like the movie, but we can understand the man when we look at what happens to him. So I, I want to read Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Right? 11 15. Let's start off in verse 11. It says this. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let's stop right there. So Moses goes out, like, I, 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 we don't know if this is the first time he's seen his people or if he's been around them. We're not given that detail, but for some reason, something about seeing their struggle, their burden that day, it shook this man who was standing in two worlds. It shook him violently. It shook him powerfully and profoundly to the point where he did an unthinkable thing. He killed a man. Like the, this man who would grow up to be a leader of a nation, of a big nation, of, of a powerful nation, who would go and conquer the promised land. Like the Moses that we think who wrote the Pentateuch, who saw God face, not face to face, who saw God's backside. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. This incredible man killed someone. He was unhinged in this moment, ill-prepared. We see the picture of the man who, who was not stable in this moment. He did something that I'm sure he woke up that day not imagining he would do. He killed someone. And, and if that wasn't enough right there to, to really build the picture of the man, like look what happened to him afterwards. Verse 13 says, When he went out the next day, behold, Two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing, the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Let's, let's think about where he is right now. Let's think about this third culture person right now. So shaken when he sees this oppression, he kills a man. And then he goes the very next day to his people. The very next day it says he goes to his people and they reject him for it. Like, oh, Moses, you, you're, like, you're the guy who killed the Egyptian, right? Who are you? What I, what I like to say to people is like, who are you? You don't know me. You don't pay my bills, right? They say the same thing practically. Like, Moses, who made you, like, a king, a ruler over us? Like, who, you don't know us. You don't know what we go through. You don't know what it's like to be us. You're Pharaoh's son, daughter's son. What's going on here? I just sit there, and I imagine him feeling rejected by his own people. He's like, I just killed for you. Like, I want to know. Like, it's not my fault that I don't know. And they're like, no, we don't know you. You don't know us. You're not one of us. And then not only there, it doesn't end there, but his adopted grandfather then finds out what he did, 
that he killed one of his own, and he turns his back on him, and he wants to kill him. Solidifying to him, he's like, you're not Hebrew. You're also definitely not an Egyptian. You killed one of us. Like, Moses, I, I gave you my charity. I let you live in my house, but now it's over. Like, I'm, you're actually, I'm, I need to kill you now. And driven to despair, Moses did the only thing that he thought he could do. He ran. He, he just ran. He ran to Midian, which was a desert nearby. Far enough that he was safe, but he ran. And I just think about this man. I think about this man that this story is telling. How he must have felt so detached from everything, like he didn't have a home. We're not even told about his relationship with his adopted mom. We don't know if he had love in his life. We don't know how he felt, if he felt any personal security. Like We see that this man grew up in two worlds and then both of them turned their backs on him. The last thing he had was to run. He had nothing else. And then we see that this season of his life starts the season of solitude in the desert. He would, something very significant is said here that we might not grasp we might not really know how significant it is. Verse 15 ends by saying, uh, and he sat down by a well. And he sat down by a well. See, in the ancient world, the wells represented more than just a well, but a well was a picture of the soul. It's like the season in his life started where he sat alone in solitude with his soul. All he had was his soul. The season where his past he could ignore, not ignore, but it was out of sight. He had a simple job. We learned that he started shepherding. It was just him in this season trying to understand who he was, trying to find some peace, just getting rid of the distractions from his past. Really, he was hiding. And in that moment, that brief solitude, we, have, we see a glimpse, a glimpse of who he was really meant to be comes out. And we need to talk about this moment of clarity. And so Moses is sitting by this well, starting the season of, of solitude, his life of, of contemplation, of, of seeing, like, what? I need peace. I need something to happen. And he sits by this well. And all of a sudden, the priest of Midian has seven daughters, and his daughters come to feed their flock, to give water to their flock. And these group of shepherds drive the women away and their flock, and Moses stands up and he protects them. It says he saves them, and he actually even goes as far as to help them to give drink to their flock. And the prince, of, uh, they leave, and the priest of Midian is like, no, get him, like, bring him back. Like, he, he did me a service. And eventually he marries Zipporah. So I, I just want to first focus on this, like, this moment that he has, this brief moment where like, the man that we see at the end of his life comes out really briefly. That Moses is really like, meant to be a leader, a protector, a savior. He protects the priest's daughters. And, the, and then the, that moment ends. But then he marries one of the priest's daughters. He has a kid. And this is the moment of clarity that I want to talk. Like, I, I see this moment ha is so significant. We blink and we might miss it. With Zipporah, his wife, they have a son. And 
they name him something so significant. Like I see so much of Moses' heart in naming his son. The name Moses means I drew him out of water. Right? Very telling of his story, his background. And Moses names his son. And in the ancient world, names mean a lot today, right? They, they can mean a lot. Sometimes, though, we pick names just because they're pretty or because we want to be unique. But names in the ancient world were so significant because it spoke identity. It spoke belonging. It said something either about the person being born or about the father. And in this case, like, I, I see this radical moment of honesty. Moses names his son Gershom. Gershom means a couple of things. Here in the text it says, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It means traveler, immigrant, wanderer. It's this picture of a person untethered with no home who belongs nowhere, who's just wandering. And I look at this and I think it's so important for us to realize this in the moment of where he was, of what God was doing in the solitude moment. We, we don't see God show up in this story yet. God's name, he hasn't started speaking. He hasn't started calling out. He hasn't started speaking and teaching Moses who he was. Moses in this moment finally can just be radically honest with himself and with the world. He, he, we're seeing his heart come out in, a, in his son's name. He's like finally got the courage or the realization or the clarity to say, you know, I know who I am. I'm a nobody. I'm someone that doesn't belong. I'm untethered. I have no people. I have nothing holding me down. Like I'm all alone. And I just want to stop there today. In our attempt today to get the man Moses, to understand this real person, that he was going through a real struggle. And I just want to say... To us, that we need to enter into a season of solitude. Because we all have these parts of our beings where we're hurt, where we need to be radically honest with ourselves. Many of us need to be honest to even discover and find the words of how we feel. As, as a third culture person growing up, like I, I remember my experience was that I looked like everyone else around me. But there were times when when I disclosed who I really was, people turned their backs on me. So I learned that I could hide. I learned that I didn't have to really be different if I just pretended, if I just acted like everyone else. And, and that really hurt me up until I wasn't a young adult, until I was like 22, where I started to heal from all of that. And so I have a couple questions for us. Is First, do you know yourself? Do you know where you carry these pains? In the same way that we're trying to grasp the man Moses, do you know yourself? Do you know the wounds that you carry? Do you know where you need to wrestle with all the things of you that are good and all the things of you that are hurt? Do you know yourself that well? 
have you had this season of solitude where you've been introspective to say like, God, who am I? God, where do I need to go? God, how can I let you form me? Where do I need to be formed? Or how can I let you in and have this real relationship with you? Scripture says that Moses had such a real relationship with God that he even changed God's mind. Like, what does that even mean? That, that's crazy. That's incredible. Moses is this man who saw God's backside. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Like, Lord, that's incredible. Moses is the man who led the people in the desert for 40 years. That's incredible. Moses was this man who tapped on rocks and water came out. Moses is the man who led this people through the desert and their feet never got swollen and their clothes never wore out. Like He saw so many incredible things. He went in the tent. He was so filled with God's glory when he went on Mount Sinai that he had to wear a veil because he made people uncomfortable. And it all started with this man who was really broken, who took a step to radically be honest. I'm Gershom. I don't belong. Oh, like, God, I don't think I'm good enough. Oh, God, this experience is still hurting me. Oh, Lord, this part of my childhood, I, I can't deal with. Or even current. Like, Lord, this loss is too much. I'm paralyzed. This grief that I'm feeling, I can't get over. Next week, we're going to talk about how after Moses had this moment of clarity and honesty. God started to speak to him. But first, our assignment is to get that honest with ourselves. To really know ourselves. I don't think God will only work after we do that. But God will definitely work when we do that. And so church, this is our assignment. Like uh, We have a homework assignment this week. It's to give God time every day. I don't know if you're going to take me up on this. I sadly think most of us won't. But if you want this to speak to you, I challenge you to do this. Take time every day. I don't even want to give you an amount of time because then it will only be a homework assignment. But take time every day and ask God for two things. First, ask Him, like, God, can I have your presence? We did this during our solitude weekend a couple weeks ago. Like, God, can I have your presence? And then wait for him to respond. Wait for his presence, for you to feel his presence in some way. And then when you do, you say, like, Lord, who am I? Or, Lord, where am I? Like, Lord, where am I hurt? Where have I not wrestled with you yet? Where have I not been real with myself or real with you? And see what happens. That's what our assignment is for this week. That's our charge for this week. We only have a week. We'll be back here next Sunday preaching the next part of his story. But this week is all about really knowing who you are and what part of your story you're at and where you need God to come and meet you. In. Church, uh, I'm already going a little late. I would love to keep talking, but it's time for us to go. Uh, I love you. We love you. We love this church. We're going to continue to serve this church. Get connected to our MCs. If you're new and haven't connected with us yet, below there's a button.
in the notes section that says I'm new, click on it because we want to reach out. I want to have a cup of coffee with you. I want to get on a phone call with you. I want to bring you into the things that we do. We want to connect you to an MC. We want to go for a walk with all of you. And so uh, let us do that. Let us know that you're here, connect with you a little bit. Patricia, I, I'm really praying for a powerful act to happen in our lives during this Moses mini-series so that we can then afterwards prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. But uh, let's, let's have this real pursuit in these next couple of weeks before we get there because God has so much to speak to us, so much to do in our lives to bring us to this place that we could never imagine. Moses could have never imagined where his life ended when it began. And so let's have that same expectation of like, Lord, I'm not even going to put a limit on what you can do in my life and how much freedom you can bring. So church, we love you and uh, we'll see each other soon. Join our prayer calls, join our MCs, uh, go with a walk for, with me. We can't wait to be together again. Have a good week. See you soon.